Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of The Infertile Diagnosis. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and on this episode of The Infertile Diagnosis, we have our very first special guest. It's Claire from the PCOS Nutritionist. I was silently stalking Claire on Instagram and knew when I was starting a podcast that I had to have her on. Claire is a degree qualified nutritionist and an exercise scientist. According to the books, she was doing everything right. She was even running and competing for New Zealand at the World Champions. She was doing the hard work. She was tracking her calories in and her calories out. But it wasn't adding up. Her PCOS was flaring up. She hadn't had a period in two years. She was having major acne problems and gaining weight. So she called BS. She started doing the hard research, digging around the internet, and found functional medicine. Now she's on a mission to support and help other women with PCOS find their root cause and what type of PCOS they have. Because if you are a PCOS sufferer, you know that you get all lumped into one category, but it's not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis. I love Claire's story. She has an amazing, amazing knowledge about PCOS, but her story is what wanted me to bring her on here and share it with us. So if you can just tell us a little bit about your younger years and going into getting your period and getting your period, um, was PCOS something right from the start for you? No, not at all. No, I was always, while I was probably slightly later going through puberty, which is quite um, characteristic of PCOS for many people, it's not for some, but it is for others. Uh, I was probably about 15 when I got my first period. And I remember kind of being the, like the last in your class and things like that. And I always put it down to the fact that I was um, competing um, in sports. So I was quite, um, ever since I was, I think I first started competing for New Zealand when I was 15 and running internationally. And so I was run, doing a lot of running and kind of put it down to that. Um, but my periods were always super regular. It wasn't until I got to university that things started to become irregular and again my doctors so I didn't have a period for about three years and my doctors put that down to the fact that I was competing like I was training quite hard so I was competing for in running so in athletics and cross country and then later in triathlon and so I was training up to 20 hours a week some weeks um, twice a day and so my doctors were like that's perfectly normal it's perfectly normal for you to lose your period when you are training that much But the problem was I kind of knew knew a bit too much because I was doing my degree in nutrition and my honours degree in exercise science at the time. And I was like, "Mm, nah, that doesn't quite add up because my other symptom is I'm actually putting on weight, even though I'm doing all this training, I'm, you know, studying nutrition, I know how to eat, I know what the sports nutrition guidelines are, I'm following those, I know I'm in a calorie deficit, so why am I putting on weight? not losing it when all of the research shows that people that lose their period through um through training is because their body fat is too low um Mm. and i was like this doesn't it doesn't add up it doesn't add up at all um but still uh the the treatment i got was hey well here you know take the birth control pill it's it regulates your cycle um and that was and then the other symptoms again were treated like very individually so again it was my was my weight it was just like well you just need to eat less and exercise more and I was like well not quite sure how we're going to do that um I'm already doing like 20 hours a week so too much more I'm going to be definitely in the overtraining category um and and I knew that I was already in a calorie deficit for of about 500 calories so I was like this is just doesn't add up and it wasn't just my doctors telling me that either it was like my nutrition lecturers I would go and we'd you know, after five years of that, of, of um, university education, that was the summary about weight loss, is that basically it was just a calorie deficit. 
and um, and you put on weight because you were eating more calories than you burned, and if you lost weight, it was because you were eating um, fewer calories than what you were burning. And if people weren't losing weight, it, even though they said they were in a calorie deficit, it was because they were under-reporting, i.e. they were lying about what they were eating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I just I, I just don't believe that because I'm seeing it in myself and, and I'm a really motivated individual. Like if I can get out there and train 20 hours a week, I'm motivated enough to write down exactly what I'm eating and I know all of this stuff. So if, if it doesn't, I, I just don't believe that that's the only, only reason. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a um, significant like factor for me. And really I came out of university and I was like, this just doesn't make sense. So do you think that your years training really hard and then doing a double degree during that, the stress and then the overtraining and then maybe the way you were eating as well, is that what uh, kind of flicked on your PCOS for you? Yeah, I think I think for me it was, and this is the, the reason why we really need to treat PCOS quite individually and what, what I do in my practice is we try and get to the root cause about why someone has develop PCOS. So PCOS is very much genetic. So we have the genes that predispose us to PCOS. Um, But what we do know about genes is that they are flicked on, as you said, by environmental triggers. So stress being a huge one of those. Um, So insulin being another large one. Um, A thyroid condition can be another one as well. And so for me, looking back now, I can see how that's um, definitely accumulated for me. So I am genetically predisposed to having my insulin not working properly. Both my grandmothers, one's got type 2 diabetes and one had a triple bypass, a heart attack, which led to a triple bypass. And they now believe that anyone that's had heart disease is pretty much an undiagnosed type 2 diabetic or severe insulin resistance. So I can I can tell that I've got those genes there. And so even though I was training so much and eating, you know, eating what was at the time the um, definitely the the nutrition guidelines for sports nutrition, that wasn't necessarily the best thing for me and my genetic makeup. So I was having a lot of, you know, high sugary sports drinks and gels. And for someone that doesn't uh, process those sugars properly, i.e. that, you know, because insulin is your hormone that helps store glucose or sugars into your cells so we can use them later for energy and but what happens in insulin resistance or pre pre-diabetes is that that insulin doesn't work properly it's not able to if you think about it like opening the key of the door it's not able to open that open that lock and get that glucose into the cell properly and so instead of taking you know 20 minutes to get that lock open it might take an hour two hours three hours four hours in the meantime, your body's overproducing insulin, and it's that insulin that then is running around in your body and causing your ovaries to overproduce testosterone. So that was a big part for me when I got diagnosed was my testosterone was really high, um, and that was what was causing my irregular cycles. It was also causing acne for me as well, um, and it was contributing to my weight gain. So for me, in terms of though, how did I develop that? Wild genetics was a big part, and so was the high um, high sugary drinks, another massive part, and I know that this is something that you love to talk about too, Monica, is, is my gut health. And I, because I, as a child, suffered from really bad tonsillitis, so I would have had probably 20 courses of antibiotics before I was 10 years old. Um, I was one of those kids that would get, like as soon as I had like a latish night, I would be, you know, the tonsillitis would set in within two days or so. So I remember missing school camps. I remember being so sick with tonsillitis, having so much um, that I would be vomiting from the bacteria. Like it was, it was really severe. And again, quite a genetic thing. Um, Both my parents had had their tonsils removed. It was kind of one of those things that was, um, I was was predisposed to, but both my brother and sister also had um, tonsillitis and their tonsils removed. So by the time I was, Uh, 11 I got those removed Um, but what we now know is that those tonsils are your first line of defense for your immune system so when we remove those we remove our first line of defense and that bacteria just goes straight to our lungs and Mm -hmm. so consequently for me in training when I was at university when I was overtraining, um, when I was stressed when my insulin wasn't working properly when I was trying to write my honors thesis at the same time as competing over in Europe and World Triathlon Championships, I was getting recurrent bronchitis now. So while I wasn't getting the tonsillitis, it had just moved down into my 
um, respiratory um, system and I was getting recurrent uh, bronchitis and pneumonia. Um, and so again, I was on antibiotics for like six months in a row. Like I, I didn't have a break from, virtually didn't have a break from antibiotics in six months. So, and what antibiotics do is that they completely wipe out all our gut bacteria, good and bad. And it's like when you uh, go and spray your garden with, uh, imagine if you kind of sprayed your whole lawn or garden with um, broad spectrum insecticide, we call it Roundup in New Zealand. I don't know what the brand names are overseas, but you spray all that and it kills everything. And if you don't go in and plant your like lawn or plants again, then what grows back is those bad bacteria and yeast and fungus. And that was definitely the case for me. I was... Um, Mine, what grew back was kind of a, or what took over was a candida overgrowth. Uh, and when we have that, that bad bacteria or too much bad bacteria, not enough good bacteria, yeast, fungus, etc., like that, then we know that that means that you absorb more calories and carbohydrates from your food. So again, that was compounding this whole insulin picture for me. So uh, it was very much multifactorial. And that's what we see in most cases in something like PCOS is it's not just one thing. There's often many different contributing factors. Um, so it's not just, okay, let's just remove sugar from your diet. It's like, well, you know, we could say that, but then here I was knowing exactly what I should be eating and that probably sugar wasn't the best thing for me. But, and this was after I finished competing, but still I was being driven to that vending machine at 3 p.m. every day because I had the most intense sugar cravings uh, that I, so I know exactly what's kind of what that's like and how hard it is just to be like, well, just don't eat sugar. It's like, oh, okay, you tried telling me that 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. I was the same. I had my tonsils removed when I was a kid. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy how it's all connected. Even after my tonsils were removed, I would get tonsillitis. And especially when I was going through my um, infertility, my two IVFs, I got it two years on the same day in a row. And you just, people don't connect those. You know, our doctors are not connecting those links. That's something, you know, those are your warning signs already. You know, shit's already going down. <laughs> like you are already, your body's screaming at you. And just because it's not on your lady bits, no one's yeah. looking at it. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, the, and the fact that it's like, okay, instead of just ripping those tonsils out, they're just, as you said, they're just the warning sign. They're just the canary in the coal mine saying, whoa, there's something seriously wrong with this immune system. Let's actually fix the immune system to help it fight these infections all the time, rather than actually just going and ripping those tonsils out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the same thing, I mean, like, God, the amount of women that I've heard who go in for Endometrio endometriosis, a uh, laparoscopy, and, and then they get at the end of the surgery, and the surgeon's like, Oh, yeah, and we just removed your appendix as well. And it's like, Why? <laughs> Honestly, what the if? Like, uh, there was uh, what, what was wrong with my appendix? Like, oh, we're in there anyway. And it's like, The, the appendix is, does something, it's not there just for no reason. Like, there is no reason to go and remove that unless it is like, you know, unless it's actually. Um, been infected or it's um it's actually ruptured so like that kind of thinking of that the, we have these organs in our body that don't do anything like our gut bacteria actually they thought they didn't know until like a, you know a decade or so ago that our gut bacteria did anything and you look back even further like hundreds of years ago they didn't think the brain did anything and it's like whoa <laughs> how much do we know what the brain does now and, and that's exactly kind of what we're learning about the gut bacteria that it does it has such a huge role to play and and not just our how many kind of calories and carbohydrates we absorb but our immune system and 70 percent of our immune system is yeah. our gut bacteria yeah, so okay. if that's not working properly no wonder we're getting like right you know, and bronchitis and and uh, and those are just the immune factors then it's the kind of autoimmune infertility then it's the you know other autoimmune conditions yeah so exactly what um you said you had a lot of you know sugary drinks and the gels you know what other kind of foods um that might not be i mean those are kind of maybe obvious for some people like when they're hearing it but what other foods might not be so obvious um, that are causing those insulin spikes? Yeah, so a really common one is dairy. And this is something that's not well recognized because if you look at like the glycemic index, and a lot of people will have heard of low GI foods, then um, a low GI food is low fat yogurt or low fat dairy. 
but actually dairy is incredibly insulin stimulating. And what we mean by that is when I was saying before that when you eat, um, when you eat like carbohydrates, especially, um, so carbohydrates can be anything from simple sugars like your um, gels and sports drinks and sodas and sweets and chocolate or the more complex carbohydrates. So that's basically complex carbohydrates are just sugar molecules joined together by quite strong bonds. And so it takes your body a longer time to cleave those bonds and break them down into small molecules that can then cross from your stomach or your small intestine into your bloodstream. And that could be things like your um, potatoes and sweet potato and rice and pasta and like more of those complex carbohydrates. So, um, but so what insulin does is when it when it recognizes that you've got some of those sugar molecules in your bloodstream, your your brain will tell insulin to go and open up that cell door to let the um, let the glucose in. But what else stimulates that insulin? Is, um, is low fat dairy because it's got a lot of branch, what we call branch chain amino acids. And these also stimulate insulin to be released in quite high amounts, if it's, especially if it's the low fat dairy. Um, so um, one thing that we know is say that the low fat dairy actually stimulates more insulin to be released than white bread. So if you've got, so for a lot of people that don't have any insulin issues, that can be totally fine. Their insulin's functioning properly. What will happen is your insulin rises, your body will store that, that food away for use later, and then your insulin will come down again. But in someone like me who has a genetic predisposition and, and over time their, their locks got a bit sticky, so that's what I kind of think about it like. Like if you're, you know, your, your key to your house has just got a little bit sticky in that lock, it's a bit gunged up and it might take you a bit of time of wiggling around to get that open. What that has happened in my body and so many, up to 80% of women with PCOS have this. So it's a really common one. And um, over time, that lock doesn't work properly. And so your body will just produce more and more insulin, hoping that basically the more it produces, someone will either have the key that fits or they can barge down the door to get it open. And it's that high level of insulin for those of us with PCOS that actually causes an increase in testosterone, which is what does the um what does does the bad stuff when it comes to our menstrual cycle and fertility because in PCOS it disrupts our luteinizing hormone which is the one that in the middle of your menstrual cycle that shoots up to release the egg and in PCOS that insulin actually makes that shoot too high and your body gets real confused it's like whoa this is way higher than what I expected and so it's just like, okay, 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 we just got to shut this down. Like we can't have it too high. Um, I don't know what that means. So it just won't release that egg. And so what happens in PCOS, why you, um, why a lot of people struggle to conceive is because they're just not able to release that egg. But if we can work on that root cause, i.e. for most people reducing that insulin, then we can bring that luteinizing hormone down and we can successfully help them to actually release that egg, ovulate and conceive. Yeah. So let's go back. You are, you've done your degree. Yep. You're like shit. You're over, you're done your training, which is amazing that you did that during college anyways. <laughs> yeah. At this time I was still like, I was, I wasn't competing internationally anymore. I'd kind of retired from international competition, but I was still, I'd moved on to multi-sport. Um, so I was still training like quite like at least a couple of hours a day, but I wasn't doing like intense training, yep. but now I'd moved on. So I wasn't doing, uh, I wasn't studying doing my thesis anymore. Now I was working. I was in the real world as well. So you're in the real world, but you're still not healthy. And but you are a nutritionist, right? You have knowledge about food and health and diet. So when did the penny drop? Where where did your journey kind of take a left? For me, it was I think so many years of. Um, of really struggling with these symptoms, especially for me, it was like just the weight gain didn't add up. I was like, like I'm exercising way more than any of my friends. And also the acne, I was like, ah, it's like 25 by the stage. I was working in corporate world and I'm still having to worry about covering up acne with makeup. And I was like, this is just not right. Like this isn't fair. Why am I still getting this? And then, so that's actually when I went to the doctor and I had a really great doctor. Actually, she wasn't integrative or anything like that, but she was just like, okay, yeah, these patterns, she shouldn't say anything. She just tested my testosterone and my insulin then, and then called me back and was like, yeah, these are, these are out. Like did a scan. Yep. All, all things you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. So for me, um, and also you've got 
your insulin's not working properly. You're like, your insulin's quite bad and you're on the, on the path of type two diabetes. And I was like, wow, like that to me, like having, you know, still uh, having, you know, been an athlete for years and sat through so many lectures where we, we got taught that insulin resistance or type two diabetes was some, it was a completely avoidable disease. And um, basically it was a disease of people that were just too lazy and ate too, you know, ate, ate crap. And I was like, wow, again, this doesn't, this doesn't stack up for me. So that's when, what got me looking further. So I basically visited every um, woman's health doctor in, uh, in Auckland where I lived. I went to different naturopaths. I, and no one could really provide me a good answer or anything I tried just didn't really work. So that's when I started kind of, I was like, wow, I'm not going to roll over and just, you know, um, accept that type 2 diabetes is my fate I'm gonna you know we're gonna try and do everything we can about this so that's when I just started looking further afield and and eventually finding this area of um, like skill I guess called functional medicine which is all about treating the root cause of chronic illness rather than treating the symptoms like the medical world had been for me like treating my um, irregular periods or missing periods with hormonal birth control treating my acne with low-grade antibiotics um, and treating the weight gain with a calorie kind of driven approach. And that was when I got onto that and, and realizing being able to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together for me, like the, the gut health stuff, like the uh, diet part and, and why I could gain weight on that. But my other competitors or my other training buddies were absolutely fine on those, on that kind of diet and why, um, you know, again, similar how, how stress plays into this with, um, with, a, a over exercising and b trying to trying to you know cram in study and honors thesis and also just trying to live and, and be social as well and how that could definitely play a role yep and um where did you find your functional medicine was it a practitioner or just like a website so this was i actually completed my um functional medicine training through chris Cressa, okay. who and i found chris through his podcast um, and I started I was a really early doctor in podcast I started listening when I was in about was in about 2009 um, and it was him you know through that that I was like wow yeah this makes so much sense and started doing more research and then and then uh, and then more training in that yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, listen to Chris a lot and a few other people, and you just had to get out of your zone of your lady bits, right? There was nothing out there, and you just started listening to anything and everything you could possibly get your hands on, and you slowly pieced it together. Yeah, I totally feel you yeah. on that. And um, so you started doing it. Was it really hard to rewire your brain in? not only thinking that way, but eating that way, living that lifestyle, because it's not just down to diet, you know, it's your, your whole lifestyle, your sleeping, your training that, that has to change to really have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was letting go of that overtraining, I think was probably the hardest thing because I felt like it was the only thing that was keeping my weight from really spiraling out of control. Like I thought, man, if I'm running an hour a day plus doing a CrossFit session plus doing, you know, some yoga and stuff as well. Um, hot yoga, because obviously that burned more calories. Um, <laughs> not walking because running burned more calories. And so I was like, man, if I'm doing all this and I'm still kind of gradually putting on weight, then what's going to happen if I reduce that down? I was like, man, I'm just going to balloon. And that was a huge psychological thing for me to get over is that fear of of cutting back that exercise and so this is what I why I can be so empathetic with so many of my patients who are in the same boat because I see like I went through that exact challenge um so it was really hard for me to get to get past that I think that was probably that took I would say that really took probably five years to from when I first started learning about um cortisol and the other person I really that really kind of flick this into place for me was a woman, um, Dr. Libby, who's a really amazing, um, she's like a, a hormone nutritionist. Um, she's got her PhD in kind of endocrinology and um, in the study of hormones. And it was her first book, Accidentally Overweight, that I was like, ah, okay, yeah, this isn't just a calorie thing. And, and how hormones, and especially our hormone, our stress hormone cortisol can play a role. Um, and 
so it was probably about five years from sort of reading that book to going through functional medicine training and, and to really, I was quite, um, I guess, I was sort of thinking this doesn't apply to me. I like I've always trained lots and so therefore my body is just able to cope with more training than what the regular person would so I I was very much justifying why and really it was just a coping mechanism for being scared about what that was going to do to my body if I if I stopped training and stopped burning as many calories as what I did a day really was what I put it down to um because I would I really your calorie intake kind of went up because you're now eating healthy fats <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think um, that was, yeah, that was, it was not su such a, um, a massive component for me, but the the training was really the thing that, that re I really had to get through was just the, and also the fact that I, I just love running. I mean, I've always been a runner. And so to kind of, so, you know, going out for an hour run and, and then really wasn't just about being scared of that calorie intake, but then really learning that it wasn't necessarily the best type of exercise that I could be doing to help my body improve my insulin. So exercise is fantastic, but it's, it's not for the reason we really, the reason we think that the, the calorie burn in PCOS, it's really to try and make our body more sensitive to that insulin or clean out that lock and help that lock work properly again. And running really isn't the most effective way of doing that. Um, and so for me, it was really trying to rewire my brain to be like, okay, we've, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to stop running for life. It's just probably for the next six months or so, you've really got to put some, some pretty strong effort into how you can actually improve that insulin sensitivity and face the music clear running. You've read the research running is just not, is just not working, working for you. Um, and I think it was really that what I always say to so many of my patients too, is that like the Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I'd been doing this same thing over and over again for 10 years of my life and things were getting worse, not better. Um, so yeah, that was probably the, the big component for me. This other component was probably, um, you know, just trying to rewire my brain from the standard kind of American or Western diet and food pyramid and what I'd, everything I'd learned at university about, how you know we needed a lot of whole grains in our diet and um and that that kind of should be what mostly what our diet is based on as well as obviously fruits and vegetables and stuff and and actually learning that for someone that's got insulin resistance the insulin's not working properly i i likely didn't tolerate those kind of foods as well as what someone else would and, and therefore i needed to change that so the big one for me would have been my usual breakfast of I used to make my own homemade muesli or cereal and have that with like my Greek yogurt, low fat Greek yogurt and grated apple. And it was, I loved that, man, it was the best meal of my day. And so to realizing that actually that wasn't the best thing I could do was, was quite hard to get yourself out of those, um, of those habits that you yeah. do. And it, it sounds healthy. It's not like yeah. you're woofing down donuts or, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, big croissants or anything. And that, that I think for a lot of people is really challenging getting over that mental thought that you're just not that girl. You're yeah. not that girl who can eat and drink and train hard and um, seemingly be healthy or get pregnant. Um, and that is a major mental block, especially like for me, you know, I was deemed healthy and normal and watching everyone else have babies that were m more unhealthy than I was, or maybe having some issues um, it's super frustrating, but you, like you say, it just, you know, people get frustrated that they do a diet for six months and their ultimate goal of whatever they're achieving, let's just say it is having a baby isn't happening. And the thing is, is the body just doesn't work like that for a lot of people. It does take a really long time to heal and you have to cut yourself some slack that you're just not you know, not all of us, there's, I think there's a really small proportion of people in the world that are just going to do it hundred percent, everything perfect. You know, you have these habits and this lifestyle that is your identity and you're basically, you know, have to let go of that. And it's almost like a grieving process. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest ones was turning into someone that was kind of needy and high maintenance. About food. <laughs> You know, like, it's like, oh, God, I'm that person that can't eat dairy and can't <laughs> eat gluten. And especially, like, going away on, um, on like, trips and things like that. Like, I'm, um, I love, you know, my, my hobbies are, like, out, still really outdoorsy kind of stuff. Like, we 
do sort of um, more like skiing and mountain biking and we go away like on like hikes over the weekend. We call it tramping here in New Zealand, but I know that does not translate well. <laughs> into other I don't know what you call it. It's like overnight trekking, hiking. So it's like quite, and, um, and we'd love doing these kind of like weekends away with a bunch of friends. So there's always be about 10 of us and, and you kind of always organize, you end up like, organizing meals for everyone and I was like oh my god I hate being the one that's needy like I just want to be like everyone else that's just so oh yeah cool yeah no burritos sound good and mm -hmm. it's that was quite a big part for me as well as I didn't want to be that person who yep. was the high maintenance kind of one that didn't yeah. fit with my the way I, I viewed myself and uh and my personality yeah 100% I mean we got to the point where we would just bring our own food to our friend's house that we were staying at um, because we knew that they, um, not that we expected them to, but we just knew they didn't eat the way that we yeah. had to eat at the moment to figure out our issues. And um, yeah, it is, it's just hard at first. You're right. It's just, um, you are that, you know, needy person and you feel like an idiot. Like I remember like sitting at restaurants just going, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. That Because for me, I can't eat tomatoes. And that's a huge part of most cultures diet. You know, you just can't go anywhere. You can't have peppers, you know, it's all those nightshades. And um, yeah, it's just hard. But the thing is, is I just kept reminding myself at the end of the day, your ultimate goal is achievable if you do this and it just doesn't matter what people think because when you achieve your goal or you're feeling good you're feeling healthy you know they won't look at you anymore and go you know and I don't know doesn't matter what people think it doesn't you know at the end of the day and you just have to get over it um, but it's a slow process and um, anyone going through that right now we feel your pain <laughs> yeah absolutely. and what I always say to my patients too is that like it's not about being perfect from the start it's just about progress so if you like so many of my women with PCOS have been um you know they've, they've had weight issues for a long period of time a lot of them because of their insulin is not working properly and so they've been dieting since they were kind of remember always conscious about food and so and they've been used to things not working for them so they'll be used to trying something new and They'll do it really strictly and then not be able to keep up that strictness and then they'll have something that they deem to be off plan and then they'll feel like they've fallen off the wagon and they've, it's been their lack of self-control and, and so they'll then end up kind of binging and then feeling really terrible about themselves and then being like, right, okay, I'm going to start tomorrow, I'm going to start Monday and this time it's going to be perfect. But that kind of mentality is just no matter whether it's a weight thing or whether it's a immune and as you said like a more of you need to be on an autoimmune thing and you suddenly have you know you're out at a restaurant there's nothing you can have that doesn't have tomatoes it's like well you know what I'm probably not going to die like yeah. I'm not going to die from one meal of it and and these things happen and I've just got to be like okay that's okay this is a learning experience and I'm not going to be perfect from the start but I am going to be able to get better so I, you know you go and visit friends and you realize oh my God, it's really hard. And so then you learn from that. And next time you do take your own food and you do yeah. warn them and say, hey guys, look, I'm sorry. We're really, and you be honest with them, we're really needy high maintenance at the moment. We've got some stuff going on. And so we're just going to bring our own food because we don't want you having to like navigate all our dietary requirements. So we're all good. We've got everything we need. And you kind of get, just get better at explaining these things. And you also get better at, I suppose, not having to justify yourself all the time. Yeah. It's not like, oh, why don't you eat that? It's, you get better at being like, oh, because I just don't feel like it, mm -hmm. and not and not saying, oh, it's not good for me, because then you have to get in this whole debate with someone who thinks <laughs> that they've got a different opinion about it, or they've heard something else, and it's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't want to be here debating. I know, I know this is what I need to do, and this is what I'm. So I'm just, you know, I get good at saying, oh, I just don't feel like it, or I don't feel like it now. Thank you for the offer of your lovely birthday cake, but. Um, thanks so much. I just don't feel like it quite now, but maybe later, you know, and you, and you get good at kind of dealing with that. Whereas, but that's not a, a skill that you just have automatically. It's something yeah. that you've got to acquire and you've got better and better and better at doing it. So the more that you can focus on progress, not perfection, the more likely you are to be successful over a long period with changing any habit, whether that be diet, whether that be the way you exercise, whether that be your sleep, 
with anything that you're doing. Yeah, you just keep going. And it's so important for us to say that because I know when I was going through my journey, especially when I got um, pregnant with my first son, I was terrified that if I had one nightshade that I would have a miscarriage. And Mm -hmm. it was such a stupid thought now that I look back because like you say one thing it's it's accumulation of over and time and stuff but I didn't really have anyone out there saying don't worry you will be fine your baby will be fine you know um and that's for anything you know um that if you do have to have that or you know when we first started paleo it was my husband's thing was like I'm never going to go hungry you know if we're out and the only thing on offer is a sandwich. I'm going to eat the sandwich. <laughs> and it's a good way to live. You know, you have control in your house, so do the best you can there. If you do travel a lot, try to bring your own food. And when you're out, you just go for the best option. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing. You just get better at choosing the better option or asking the restaurant to slightly modify things. And you just realize that most places are really good about that. And that, as you say, if they're not, then it's kind of like, wow, this is like the 90, 10 rule, you know, like I eat pretty, you know, pretty well 80, 90% of the time. This is the 10% that it's just like, well, it's not going to be that big a deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, How did you feel um, when you got your diagnosis of PCOS? How did you, before your knowledge of functional medicine, how did you feel about that diagnosis? Oh, I was shit scared. I was like, what is this? Never heard about this. It sounds really serious because it's a syndrome. And I think when you think syndrome, I don't know, all I could think at that time was like Down syndrome. And like, you know, and especially when you hear polycystic, you just think, oh my God, I've got these big cysts, kind of precancerous cysts. Because again, when you think cysts, you think cancer. I've got these things on my ovaries and they're causing this hormonal imbalance and I, I have no control over this. That's really what I found, felt like was I, you know, especially when the, um, the doctors, my doctor said to you, I said, well, what, what is that? She was like, well, it's a condition. It's actually quite common, but um, you, you will likely struggle to get pregnant and um, you'll likely also struggle to lose weight. Although weight loss is one of the most effective things you can do for PCOS to improve your symptoms, it's really hard to lose weight. And I was like, ah, good. And then I was like, okay, so what's the, what's the fix? Like what drug do we take? What surgery? And she's like, there is no fix. This is like, this is it. And we can, while there's things we can give you, we can give you some metformin to help your insulin. We can give you the pill to help with your periods. Um, there, there's nothing we can like do to like cure it. It's not curable. And so all of that combined, all that information in about a five minute process, my mind was just going wild. I was like, as I said, I was like, oh my God, I've got these massive pre-cancerous cysts I, that are producing testosterone that I don't have any control over. Um, I'm, I'm going to be one of those barren women that can't have children. And my mind was racing forward to that stage. Um, and I'm always going to be overweight and, and I'm going to get diabetes. And so it felt really, I kind of went through a phase after that of, of sort of the, just, I don't know. It's not really acceptance. It's more sort of the like victim mode where I was like, oh, this is poor me. This is what I have. I can't do anything about it. Why me? So unfair. And um, and then and then I think it took me a few months to really get to the nah, like stuff that there's like, let's see what else we can do. We that's one person's opinion. Let's see what else we can find out here. And that's when I started to actually investigate and question and look further. And um, the kind of naturopathic and world had always been a bit woo woo to me, like going through like nutrition and exercise science at uni is very medical based. It's very like, this is like medical world and anything outside of that is kind of woo woo and doesn't have a lot of research behind it. But when I started looking into it, I was like, that's not actually true. There's a whole lot of evidence behind even just like, for example, metformin, you know, being given that for my insulin and then looking at what are the other alternatives metformin? How, what can, what are the, some of the like diet and exercise that we can do? What are some of the supplements that we can take to actually improve our insulin as much, if not more than what metformin does? Mm. Um, and so really it was for me, it was very much about getting outside of that medical bubble and looking at what other options there were out there. 
Yeah, exactly. And nowadays there's so much more than probably when you were going through it. And I think it's just so much easier, but yet um, I'm sure you find it too. People still just backlash on it and they still think there's absolutely no link between diet and lifestyle and your health. And um, I always kind of hope that it's only 10 years, you know, but we'll see. (laughs) The jury's out on that one. Yeah. I think the good thing in in PCOS is just that there was a, um, a... Monash University in, in Melbourne last year did a best practice kind of um, meta-analysis at, at um, PCOS and they were sort of the, one of the first international guidelines that came out and stated that, you know, lifestyle change is kind of should be the, one of the first line, um, like first line defenses against kind of PCOS and to help with PCOS. So I think from there you've got quite a like um, a well-recognised guideline that is now stating that um i think the problem is 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 they don't actually go into any detail about what that should look like it's very much still you know like the the classic you know like um food pyramid guidelines just basically eat well and exercise more and it's like well we actually need to get a lot more granular for the individual about what they need to do so for 80 70 to 80 percent of women with pcos like insulin your insulin's not working properly but for 20 to 30% it is. So you've got very different dietary guidelines there for those two groups. For others, it might be a thyroid and autoimmune condition, which um, which again needs very specific um, diet and health guidelines. For others that is high, their adrenal glands, their stress hormones aren't working properly. Again, it's like actually diet would isn't one of my top priorities for them. It's actually just getting, you know, getting that stress under control. And so we, we need to get a lot more granular with the individual about treating their personal root cause. Yeah, exactly. So when you found functional medicine and you're like, okay, I'm in this new lifestyle, were you happy about it? Were you happy yeah. that you found and you were okay mentally going, this is how I'm going to have to live my life? Yeah, I wasn't, I, it wasn't too, once I kind of, I think for me it was when I started to feel better, I was like, ah, okay, right. Yeah, this is, this is okay. I'd kind of got through that grieving process of the fact that I was getting over that identity that I was no longer an endurance, like distance athlete. Um, but the fact that I was able to wake up now feeling semi-refreshed, not like I'd hit being, been hit by a bus. I was able to, for the first time in my life, feel I could actually like, um, could you know lose weight and my periods were back I was like ah okay yeah this is this is kind of the um, and so for me get like changing my lifestyle was um, was nothing compared to actually the improvement I saw on my symptoms so I was like you know what I'm totally happy to give up some of those foods and to train a different way if I can feel like this and how long did it take from starting to kind of getting to that emotion years you know like this is not a this is not a week like two weeks like and this is what i constantly educate women going through my pcs protocol program which is a like eight to 12 week program I'm like you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna reverse this in eight to 12 weeks okay? we're going to give you the foundations for helping you understand why you need to change your lifestyle and why that's going to help you and all the tools that you can do that but you're not going to improve your symptoms in 12 weeks so if you know you're like oh, at the end of the 12 weeks it's like oh my god i haven't lost a pound it's like not surprising because you've had this for like three like five ten years it's going to take some while as you said to kind of fix that hormonal foundation to allow your body to actually start repairing and to be able to, to allow your hormones to, to be able to actually lose some of that weight and and uh, actually access some of your stored fat to burn that for energy mm-hmm. so um, for me, this were, you know, like it was years from actually finding this thing to implement it. Like, and it was a lot of, a lot of trial and error for me because I didn't have someone giving me that plan. I didn't have someone who could then go, right. Okay. Yep. Insulin's an issue. Eat this, this, this exercise this way, take these vitamins and minerals. They're essential for your insulin receptor to work properly. Here are the herbs that are essential for your, like that will help your body become more sensitive to insulin. Hey, and guess what? Let's do some gut testing and figure out what the hell is going on, why you're getting IBS symptoms, why you're getting sick all the time. Let's do a Dutch test and look at your hormones and your stress hormones. There was no one at that stage for me to do that with. So it was very much a process of trial and error and finding this out for myself. So it did take 
a long, long time. And even with my patients who have got more of a plan like that, as I said, it still takes them like a really, um, you know, it still can take months, if not years, to actually reverse a lot of that stuff that's been going on for them for the last decade. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that's why, one, it's a really hard sell, you know, to say to someone, even just a friend, hey, look, if you and if you do X, Y, and Z, you might see some improvements, but it takes so long to see those improvements. A lot of people just want to give up. And I always just say, time's going to pass anyways. Like, yeah. just keep exactly. to it. If five years from now, if it's not working, then give up. <laughs> but yeah. I think most people will see the benefits um, and even just little benefits, you know, of like you say, just waking up, not feeling like shit or, you know, less acne or getting the periods, you know, maybe six times a year instead of no times a year. Um, you know, celebrating those really small wins on your way to your ultimate goal of whatever it is. Yeah. And I think the really important thing for people is to just, is to really not focus on those external like symptoms. You know, we often start a new, we often change our, um, our lifestyle thinking that we should be rewarded by an improvement in our symptoms. So it's like that, oh, I'm putting in all this hard work. I should be rewarded by better skin. I should be rewarded by, um, by getting pregnant or by losing weight or something else. And if we look at it that way, then we're only going to be disappointed likely. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we actually just focus on the process and what we have control over of, okay, yeah, man, I, I nailed this week. I really like, I got out there, I enjoyed myself and the sunshine went for, you know, did a lot of walking. I got to the gym a few times. I really like prioritize my sleep, whatever those priorities are that you were focusing on and really focusing on like those like weekly wins or just, I call it just winning the day. And just every day, just day to day, like keep focusing on that. Then like, then the outcome, if that's, you know, the, your body will respond eventually, but like you don't have, tr you don't have control over that. Yeah. And if you focus on it, you're, you're going to be d disappointed likely. I mean, some women can respond super quickly. So I've had a lot of women who have, you know, who've been say resistant to climate and they come to me and we figure out that their insulin's not working properly and their stress hormones aren't working properly or they've got high thyroid antibodies and we address that root cause and you know they haven't had periods for years and suddenly they'll get their period within like a month and then they'll be pregnant four months later and it's like that's amazing but it's also not the norm and i think yeah. that while it is amazing to showcase those stories and i love showcasing those I also want to showcase those that have that has taken a lot longer because I think that that if we expect it to be a bit like a lot longer, then we're totally up for that. We're not judging the success of something after say four months or six months. We're we're ready for that to take a lot longer. Yeah, we just want instant gratification, don't we? That's totally. just we're wired for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going kind of more into fertility, um, I read something or heard something you said about why it's so important to fix your insulin resistance before pregnancy for the health of the baby. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I'm super passionate about because our medical model would be is very much down the line, especially when you've got PCOS, they'll probably say to you, um, that you'll probably have trouble getting pregnant, but don't worry, just stay on the pill. And then when you do want to get pregnant, come back and see us and we'll give you metformin or clomiphene or letrozole, one of the drugs that help induce fertility or in the case of metformin, it just makes your body more sensitive to insulin. But the problem with that is that we're not adequately informed about the risks to us as an individual and also to the baby of those drugs and of not fixing the root cause. So, for most women, if, if metformin is going to work, the reason for that is because your insulin is too high. And as I mentioned before, your insulin is driving up your luteinizing hormone, the one that spikes up in the middle and, and actually stopping you from, well, it's too high, which means that you're not going to ovulate. The other thing it affects is that it affects the quality of the egg and it affects the amount of progesterone that you have. And if you don't have enough progesterone, then you're more than likely to miscarry. And this is why the rates of miscarriage in PCOS can be higher is because the like progesterone or I call it like the the nest progesterone keeps your uterine lining or the nest that keeps the egg safe until um, week 10 or 12 which is when the baby can produce its own progesterone until then your body has to produce the progesterone for it if you don't have enough that uterine lining is going to collapse and, and uh, you're going to miscarry and so 
if um, but if we just like instead of actually fixing that um, root cause of fixing the insulin, if we just give you um, something like clomiphene or letrozole, then you're going to be at much greater risk of gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure in pregnancy, which can cause seizures and, and can be fatal. And you only have to look at the research to show that women with PCOS are like exponentially at greater risk of developing like these conditions because pregnancy already makes your body more, sorry, less sensitive to insulin. So it's already like an insulin resistant state. And if you've already got some insulin resistance, then it's just going to make that worse. And that's why um, you can actually develop that pregnancy diabetes or gestational diabetes. So um, this is, this is why it's, you know, it's super important. And, um, and those like the clomiphene and the letrozole are not going to protect you against that. So that's why it's you know super important to actually bring that insulin down. You'll then likely be able to ovulate yourself. Um, but if you do still need the help of the letrozole and clomiphene, cool, go for it. But you then you're going to be doing that in a much better state for your own body. So that's kind of the the reason. The other the other reason is that I'm not a huge fan of metformin i think that it's a great it's it's a better because it's actually addressing the root cause of the insulin but they haven't done any long-term studies on its use in women and, and if you were like me and getting prescribed metformin when you're 25 and told there's basically you've got to stay on that for life you're looking at you know three quarters of your life or two-thirds of your life you're on a drug that we don't know we don't we have no safety information on for more than say a year at a time so um, again, that's to me, that's down to informed consent and you not knowing that actually, and, and I got told that this is a safe drug. This is one that we know, you know, is, is pretty good. And I was like, well, actually you don't, there is no safety information on it for more than like a year at a time. Mm -hmm. And there is no, there was at that time, no safety information on it in pregnancy either. And last year they actually released the first study on safety of metformin during pregnancy that followed a um, woman for five years from preconception right through to the baby was four years old um, and they took a group that where um, where they did were given metformin and they took a group that weren't given metformin and they followed the health of that baby for four years and they found that the metformin group so the babies that were exposed to metformin in the womb were 40 percent more likely to be overweight at four years old than those that were not um, exposed to metformin and again that to me is like we're not telling women this we're not telling them that yeah, you might get pregnant, but actually there is there is a real risk to your baby um, and their metabolic health. Um, and so this is why I think we need to change our mindset from the goal is not getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. The goal is having a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy. And if we can change that mindset, then we actually are more likely to address that root cause. If it might take us a bit longer, yeah, but in the long run, we're actually going to have a much more... Um, you know, the, the, the chances, it's not a guarantee, but the chances are much higher that we're going to have a, um, a, a, you know, a better time during pregnancy and our baby's going to have a better time during, you know, their life as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my focus changed um, actually after I had my first son and found out, um, you know, about autoimmune paleo and epigenetics and all that, um, it was really important for me because they were treating me with steroids and interlipids. And um, there is no research on that to the long-term health of a baby. And also, um, you know, what you eat during your pregnancy highly affects, you know, your child and, the, you know, their later health in life. And um, yeah, it massively, you know, reshifted my focus on, um, you know, you know, getting pregnant and having a healthy baby and doing the best that I can. And like you say, there is absolutely no guarantees, but if you have that knowledge, then I feel like you have that responsibility to do something with it. Um, yeah, super important. Yeah, and then you can... To me, it's just all about making that informed choice as well. It's like, if I know, okay, if I know what the risks are, I know what, then I can make my own decision. But if I'm told, oh, yeah, okay, just take metformin, you know, come off hormonal contraception, take metformin, it'll help you get pregnant. And then I find out 10 years later when my child's developing, like when, you know, when I'm, when we're eating a really healthy diet as a family and my child's still, you know, struggling with weight, they're then getting told they're kind of insulin resistant. And then I find out that that was likely due to the fact that I was taking metformin during pregnancy. I'd be pretty damn wild that I wasn't told that, even though the research is available now on that. So my thing is just 
we've I'm not anti-drug by any stretch of the imagination I like modern medicine is incredible and it's fantastic but I I my position is that we need to um, treat the root cause before or at least alongside taking that medication as well and if if you do everything and you treat that root cause and your body's still not ovulating and you need some help releasing that egg then yeah like amazing it's so great that we have things like clomiphene and letrozole and um and the more you do that too the more effective those those you know the clomiphene is going to be people that are generally clomiphene resistant are those where their insulin is already just a little bit too high and that's why we see that if we actually you know studies have shown that if we combine metformin and clomiphene together their success rate of pregnancy is so much higher and that's because we bring that insulin down at the same time so but metformin is not the only way by any stretch. There are like yeah. so many research studies out there that show that changes in diet, changing in exercise, um, taking enough vitamins and minerals for your insulin receptor to work properly, other herbs that, or herbs, sorry, you guys that are like, <laughs> say it really weird, um, but you're like taking those that help your body be more sensitive to insulin. They can be as effective as, um, as a drug like metformin. And so, yeah. If, again, if we just know this information, then we can make the decision for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And there's just no losing when you improve your health, you know, and there's... Yeah, that's right. There's know. no risk to it, whereas there is risks to these, like, medications. And that's what I'm like, you know, as, a, as health professionals, your first, your first kind of, like, well, the, the ethos behind it is to do no harm. And I think that if we actually treat that root cause and change our diet and lifestyle, then there's no way we can do harm. Um, so why not give that a try at, at first or at least alongside? What yeah. What's your personal opinion on why the medical world has not necessarily caught on as quickly? Like for me, I feel like I'm just a normal person. Like I don't, I didn't study a double degree in science nutrition, you know, but I went out and I found this information. I did it for myself. I proved that it worked. Um, and why do you feel there's, or you know, I don't want to generalize everyone, but what is it? Why do you think it hasn't caught up yet? It really stems back to the medical training institutions, so your med schools, which um, is, so science is very much based on randomized control trials. So randomized control trials are like seen to be the gold standard. So that's when you only change one factor. So basically you control everything else in the study. So you kind of control for age and weight and like anything else you can think of that might change this study. And then you just change one little thing. And in health, that's a, when it comes to lifestyle change, that's a really hard thing to do to control that because when someone changes the way they eat, they change a whole lot of their vitamins and minerals. Then they change their calorie intake. They often will then lead them to take up other more healthy habits like exercising or not smoking or not drinking. And so it's really hard to actually put something down. And also in the way that the body works, it doesn't just work that you know, one thing like, oh, we just change your diet and that improves your insulin. It's like, nah, we've actually got to make sure that you've got all the vitamins and minerals you need. We've got to make your muscles more sensitive to insulin. So why a study might come out and be like, oh no, change in diet did nothing for improving insulin sensitivity. It's like, well, what if we actually did all of these things together? Would that work? And yeah, we likely can. But while we, ha we have this opinion that we have to just change one thing, is we're never going to be able to really prove that a combination effect of all of these things is, is as effective. Whereas for drugs, it's really easy. We yeah. either give the person a drug or we don't give them a drug. Um, and, and I do think that, um, that the pharmaceutical industry has a huge part to play in that. I mean, they're the, you know, that's in training our doctors, that, that's what they get taught is like, okay, here's the condition, here's the symptoms, here to how, here's how to diagnose it, and here's the treatment. It's either this drug or the surgery. And that's really all they've got in their kit bag from being taught at medical school. They're not taught, okay, well, you know, this is how we change the diet and exercise. Because, like, when it comes to really what our medical world is great at, which is emergency care and acute care, like, those lifestyle things take too long to work. Like, if someone comes in having a heart attack, you're not going to be like, oh, okay, we need to change your diet. It's like, now nah, we've got to deal with that issue right now and, and save that person's life. And so, of course, that's the most important thing. Um, but what 
I believe medical, like where we need to go with, with medicine in the future is that we have two completely stream, different streams of, well, not d different streams, but we have two streams of, of medicine. So one is that emergency acute care, which is what doctors are currently trained in, which they're incredible at. And then we have our lifestyle medicine, which is more the like chronic conditions like infertility, like polycystic ovarian syndrome, heart disease, cancer, et cetera, and actually doing that preventative care, which will then ease the burden on the on the like traditional medical world as well yeah exactly and um obviously everyone's so different they react completely differently and i think you've set up a great um pcos protocol that um really highlights that it's you know people get lumped with these diagnoses but you actually have to look at the individual tell us a little bit more about your protocol yeah so what i um found when i was so when I kind of went through my own journey of figuring it out, I was like, yes, I've nailed it. I've got the answer for people with PCOS. And so I started like seeing my patients and I was like, right, do this, this, this. And then I was like, and then after a few months, I had patients that didn't respond. And I was like, what the hell? Like, this is, this is the answer. This is, this is the, like, this is what I did. This will work. And, and, but it wasn't working for them. And I kind of went, I was like, went back to kind of my functional medicine training and I was like, uh, of course, Claire, you're kind of going to the age old, okay, yes, one thing will fix all and, and that's not the case. So I really realized that there was a lot of different factors that could affect our hormones getting out of control. So for, for me, while it was definitely my insulin and my stress hormones and them being caused by gut health issues and high stress and um, not enough vitamins and minerals and diet and stuff, that's not the case for everybody. Um, and so really it was about trying to figure out for each patient I saw what their root cause was, why their hormones were out of balance. So doing further testing and, and understanding, was their insulin working properly or was it not? Were their stress hormones, you know, working properly, their thyroid, et cetera. And then once we knew that, then we could actually put the right um, method in place for them that, um, to help them, so the right protocol to, um, to actually help them reverse that root cause. And when we did that, that's when we saw much greater response rates. Um, and so, but after doing this for years, I said, man, I'm, I'm literally, you know, telling this, you know, patients the same thing over and over again, day after day, um, depending on what that root cause is. And also I was seeing that for many women, um, even though they were kind of getting the, we were figuring out that root cause and I was giving them the lifestyle, they were having real trouble actually implementing that lifestyle change. As we've talked about, they would come across the, like going to friends for the weekends or going home or um, like, especially in the US with a lot of my US patients, it was like holiday season would come around. And then it was all of the like traditions that came with that and cookie swaps and like carnivals and all these sort of things that we have in our life that we, you know, we really feel like we miss out on if we're not participating or we don't know quite how to adapt them to participate. And that me seeing them once a month wasn't really helping in that side of things. You know, like it wasn't, I wasn't able to be there with them, you know, at the end of the weekend when they came home and they're like, oh, this, you know, I went home to see my family and I just ended up eating all this stuff and I don't know how to get around that. And they really needed that help and support and, um, of a community on, of kind of someone coaching them and how to make or change the way they're thinking and, and make um, decisions and just, and just not feel like they've completely ruined everything because they had one weekend when they went home and ate cookies. It's like, mm. that's okay. You know, like that is not a big deal. It's like, we just focus on that next meal. We don't feel like we've failed everything and we have to like completely binge and then start again on Monday. And so having like the community focus and other women going through the same issues, helping them, me being there to be able to kind of offer guidance at, in real time through like a Facebook community and then on our live calls um, where we have video calls and I can actually do more of a coaching kind of role rather than just, oh, how much vitamin D should I take? And it's like, you know, like answers like that versus being like, okay, this is what happened in the weekend. How can I, how can I not make that same mistake again and really helping with that more coaching side? So that's what, why I developed the PCOS protocol is that we could then um, create a real community of women who also weren't, um, didn't want to be the victim. Okay. They were like that. I kind of, a lot of them have gone through that same process that I did, got diagnosed, got into that victim mindset. And then now being like, nah, okay, there is something I can do about it. How, but I need that supportive community around me who also feel the same, mm -hmm. not like a lot of other um, communities online, which is a lot of people just, you know, um, 
complaining about their symptoms or like what's what drug should I use for this or just looking for that kind of quick fix these were mm. you know women who really wanted to treat that root cause and believed in and how that could be effective so that's exactly kind of why we create the protocol was it's not just about the identifying that root cause for the individual like figuring out okay is it your insulin that's not working properly is it your stress hormones is it your thyroid is it a combination of all of them and then being like okay so if it is your insulin this is what you should eat for breakfast this is what um you know these are the other lifestyle things like forget about the exercise for a while let's just focus on your sleep like here are the vitamins and minerals you're going to need and um it's not just the that kind of what factor it's also the how and the like how to implement this into your daily life yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of people out there just feel so overwhelmed. You know, you pick up the book, it says, you know, lose 30 pounds in eight weeks. And you know, how many books do you have on your shelf or how many infertility books or yeah, it's, um, it is so much more than just here it is, do it. It is yeah. a big support. It's going to, you know, it's a long journey. So it's great that you've built a community for um, women out there. Uh, tell us where we can find you. So we're at thepcosnutritionist.com. Um, it's our website. That's where you find all the information about the PCOS protocol. It's just thepcosnutritionist.com forward slash thepcosprotocol. Um, also on Instagram, um, it's just at thepcosnutritionist um, and Facebook via the same as well as probably the best places. And we also have a podcast, um, which is just the PCOS Nutritionist podcast. Where we talk all about these sorts of things about fertility, about weight and, and why it's not just the calorie equation, about um, about acne and hair loss and hair growth and all the other symptoms that come with PCOS as well. Yeah, you can get super nerdy. I listened to a few episodes and they're great. Um, you know, some people just... <laughs> Some people just want you to tell them what to do, and then some people want to nerd out on you know the all the scientific stuff. So it's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on the infertile diagnosis, and um, I'm sure we'll have you on again. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. It was so nice to talk. A few more things before you go. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and or a rating. We would greatly appreciate it and it would totally help us out. Also, if you'd like to connect with either of us, you can find me, Monica, over at mymindfulme.com and you can connect with Sarah over on fabfertile.com. All the links you need to find us on our websites or social media, any products we talk about, book, special offers, or any guests that we have on, you're going to find all that information in the show notes. So that's it. Thank you once again for being with us here on the Infertile Diagnosis and have a beautiful day.